All right, guys, welcome to the Tory Says Show. So um, I have been having some technical difficulties. Rumble is working on it, as I prefer. Uh, Rumble is opposed to censorship, which will be the topic here. Spies, lies, and censorship. So um, sorry for the long musical interlude. I was trying to deal with technical issues. Uh, Rumble is extremely supportive. They have gone above and beyond. Hopefully, uh, the link that I have uh, streaming will work at some point today, which I think it may be. We'll see. Now, on that note, where do we start? We have so much to talk about, about spies and lies. So I think maybe it's important that we start with the spies. So Today, uh, the breaking story was today that a journalist um, was arrested in Russia. Now, this journalist has a very tight relationship with Victoria Nuland and Tony Blinken. I believe he's even in one of Hunter Biden's voicemails. Now, what's funny is, is that this guy was arrested, obviously a journalist, Duh, right? And he was arrested in Russia uh, for espionage. So allow me to introduce you to this person. Um, I will show you, um, where is it? Is it here? I will show you a clip of him from three years ago where he's talking about um, low sugar diets and um, Russian doctors disputing poisoning claims. Uh, this was on France uh, 24. And I think, you know, this helps us understand who, what, when, and where. Uh, because, you know, the media likes to tell us what to think. And it's about time, you know, all of this is kind of just laid out bare. Here than yesterday, and uh, if that's even possible to believe, uh, we found out this morning from the Nepalese mm-hmm. close team that police said that he had been poisoned. Soon, however, those reports were uh, tossed out. Doctors at the hospital said that there was no poison and that they claimed that he had uh, really uh, high sugar loss on the plane. That caused him to pass out. Uh, obviously, Navani's team did not believe that this was accurate in the least, and uh, they wanted an explanation. The reason is that uh, a team of German doctors had flown to Russia today, and Navani's team had wanted him to be uh, exported back uh, to Taken out, uh, taken out of Russia and sent to Germany, the toxicologist could look at what actually happened in there. However, Russian doctors said that uh, he wasn't in a stable enough condition to be transported. And so Navani's team and his wife, Yulia, who's present at the hospital, were quite confused because on the one hand, if you're saying that there is a really big sugar loss, uh, how, can that, how can he not be transportable in a situation like that? Now, if you notice on the report here, it says that he's a France 24 correspondent, but obviously is, um, should I say owned or claimed by the Wall Street Journal? Uh, this is from 2020. Now, allow me to introduce you again to this gentleman where um, he says that uh, Alexandria Lukashenko's government has opened up two criminal cases into the council, which they see as a bid uh, to seize power. This report is from two years ago. Now, you know how our 
agencies keep tabs on reporters and then roll them up when they want to. Usually they do that if they're part of an operation, right? And here we are where we have uh, a journalist for the alleged Wall Street Journal, obviously reporting for multiple channels. Here he is speaking as a correspondent again for Macron's France 24. Take a listen to what he says. And first of all, tell us a bit more about Alexievich's arrest. So Svetlana Alexievich, uh, who's 72, is a towering cultural figure in Belarus. She's by far the country's most famous writer and uh, is famous all around the world. In 2015, she won a Nobel Prize in literature for her works documenting the Soviet Union and the post-Soviet individual. And so when she joined the Coordination Council on August 14th, it was a really big moment for the uh, opposition movement. Um, that that council was formed by uh, Lukashenko's primary challenger, Svetlana Tikhonovska, who's since had to flee to Lithuania, neighboring Lithuania, where she's continued directing uh, the Coordination Council uh, from there. Uh, the Coordination Council was set up to help transfer power uh, to uh, not exactly her, but they're, they're calling for new free and fair elections uh, to help transfer from Lukashenko to a uh, new power. However, uh, the authorities, uh, Lukashenko's government, has seen this as an attempt to seize power, and they've opened two criminal cases uh, into this coordination council. The first is that they're attempting to seize power unlawfully, and the second is that it's a threat to national security. Uh, And so they've been uh, questioning members um, of the council over the past few days as a crackdown increases, and Svetlana is currently being questioned by the investigative committee, which is Belarus's version, sort of, of the FBI. Uh, she arrived t- earlier today. Uh, protesters were there. They were clapping, shouting, thank you for her for arriving. And she said that we're not guilty. We just want to live in a free country. Now, all of this is coming as international pressure against Alexander Lukashenko is only growing uh, from the U.S. that's now backing an EU move. Yeah, this is becoming a sort of pivotal, maybe not a pivotal week, but a deepening standoff between the regime and uh, the opposition movement. Uh, Lukashenko has shown no sign that he wants to negotiate with the Coordination Council or with anybody in the opposition. Uh, Over the weekend, during mass protests on Sunday, he arrived at his palace by helicopter, walked out with an assault rifle, and was overheard on video telling security officers there that we will deal with the protesters and that we have, they have until Monday uh, to make up their minds. Since we've seen two key opposition activists be detained and given 10 days in jail, we've seen these questionings that have begun protesters rounded up today. At the same time, yesterday, Svetlana Tikhonovskaya's main challenger spoke uh, over video from Lithuania to European Parliament and called for increased pressure from the U.S. and the European Union, which have both said that they do not uh, accept the results of the election and that they believe that there should be a transfer of power so that they, they are actually on uh, the Coordination Council side. But as we'll see uh, going forward, it's sort of a stalemate right now, and we'll have to see how much uh, Lukashenko is ready to crack down. But from past experience and from what we're seeing this week, he is all but ready to do so. Evan, there's another interesting angle to this story, and that's the involvement of Russia, Russia, a country that some people see as an enemy, some people see as a friend there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tikhonovska uh, yesterday in comments to parliament uh, reiterated that this is what she called, quote unquote, a democratic revolution that is neither pro or against Russia or the European Union. 
Uh, Belarus is really closely tied to Russia, and the opposition has not shown any signs that is anti-Russian in the least. Uh, at the same time, Russia has told the EU to back off. This is our territory. Uh, we will take any, any involvement as interference. And Svetlana Alexeyevich today and yesterday has towed the similar line. She's actually said that, um, she said that Lukashenko only listens to Putin, and she's called on Putin to help Lukashenko turn his attention to what she calls the new Belarus, and she wants Putin to help Lukashenko negotiate with the opposition. And so what's interesting here is that at the end of the day, in Belarus, the opposition is not anti-Russian. They're actually calling for Russia to help out. And Svetlana Alexeyevich is at the heart of this. Evan, thank you for that. Evan Gershkovich, they're reporting for us from Moscow. All right. So he reported for them from Moscow. On, uh, we've got more. Now we're going to go into more pertinent stuff. Censorship. Right? So he's actually done uh, reports on censorship in Russia. Let me... There it is. So you know how in the United States they're all playing dumb that we don't censor? Well, here's his report for the Wall Street Journal now, uh, just about a year ago. And take a look at what he was doing, saying, you know, stuff then. A copy of War and Peace, a pack of ham with the word peace written on it, and a sheet of paper with asterisks. I was arrested just for 30 seconds. Holding items like these in public could get you in trouble with authorities in Russia under new legislation introduced in recent weeks. What we're seeing now is a near wipeout of any ability to speak out. Moscow puts much effort into presenting a well-curated image of the war to the population. The message inside Russia is that its soldiers are defending the Ukrainian population from their own army and government. Attempts to question it have been stifled. The Wall Street Journal reviewed police documents and spoke with people inside Russia to understand how far the Kremlin is going to control the public's perception of the war in Ukraine. In the early days of the invasion, people took to the streets across Russia to protest, but within weeks, most of the visible signs of dissent had disappeared. To understand why, first we have to look at the language the Kremlin is using to shape public opinion. When officials and the media talk about Russia's actions in Ukraine, they don't use words such as war and invasion. The flip side is people can be legally liable for talking about peace in public or promoting anti-war slogans. Like this detention in the center of Moscow in mid-March. A young man stood with a sheet of paper which, at first glance, didn't even look like an anti-war poster. It just showed eight asterisks. These eight stars mean Nyet or in English, no to the war. Dmitry Reznikov, a sociology student at a Moscow university, is the man seen in this video. A copy of the police report reviewed by WSJ said that Dmitry discredited Russian forces with his poster. This is a violation under an amendment to existing law that was swiftly passed in March, weeks after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Punishments now include fines of up to the equivalent of $12,000 for discrediting the army, and up to 15 years in prison for publishing anything deemed to be false information about the war. Dmitry was fined equivalent to some $600, but he says his poster has nothing to do with discrediting the army. 
my poster expresses two main ideas. The first one is a pacifist position. The second idea concerns censorship in our country. Today in Russia, any publicly expressed opinion that contradicts the position of the government is a big risk. The word peace itself is among those that can discredit Russian forces, according to prosecutors in the country. Maxim Salek was fined the equivalent of $600 for holding a pack of ham. He changed the logo to read peace in Russian. And Konstantin Goldman stood silently with a book of war and peace next to a monument to the city of Kiev near the Kremlin Wall. He was detained minutes later after a woman reported him to a police officer, found guilty of protesting near the presidential residence, and fined, according to his lawyer. All three men pleaded not guilty. What this indicates is essentially that nothing uh, that might even be taken as a sign of dissent is allowed in Russia right now. And so if you're even standing in a public square holding a piece of paper, whatever that piece of paper says, you're signaling uh, uh, to the public that you're out there protesting. More than 15,000 anti-war protesters have been detained since the start of the invasion, according to Ovide Info, an independence rights group. It shows the great lengths that the Kremlin is going to snuff out dissent to make sure that its message of unity behind the war is coming across. The Kremlin didn't respond to the journal's request for comment on arrests of anti-war protesters and restrictions on freedom of speech in the country. Russian authorities have said they hear those who don't support their actions and are working to explain their goals in Ukraine. In April, 74% of respondents backed Russia's campaign in Ukraine, according to the independent pollster Levada Center. Some sociologists say opinion polls aren't necessarily accurate in contexts where people are often afraid to criticize the government. Still, in parts of the country, there continue to be small protests and signs of dissent, like this no to war sign that briefly appeared on the ice of St. Petersburg, and protesters say many others, like them, disagree with the government. The world should know that there are a lot of people in Russia who are against this war. And rightfully so, right? Wars are never good. But here's the thing. Obviously, Russia is arresting people for protesting in public squares, just like people are being silenced in the United States. But Russia's tactic in uh, to arrest people that... Uh, you know, protest and then release them or maybe find them or something is linked to something that I've talked about years ago. Let's replay this video. Because then you'll understand exactly what is happening and why they're arresting all these people. The United States is extremely proud of what USAID has accomplished in Russia over the last 20 years. And we will work with our partners and staff to responsibly end or transition those programs. Of course, money from USAID has influenced Russian politics. Without a doubt, NGOs influence public opinion in Russia, and this is normal. That's why they exist, to influence public opinion. Who's that? Should we take a closer look to see who that is? Let's see. Let's put the title up. Where's her title? There we go. Now let's blow her up for a second. So Victoria Newland, as you know, uh, meddles in a lot of Eastern Bloc type uh, stuff. USAID was expelled from Russia back in 2010 when they were 
creating these NGOs to influence uh, politics. Victoria Newland loves, you know, her reporters because this is how she does it. Remember in uh, Ukraine, it was the former... No, he's not. Yeah, he was former IG of the NSA, now IG of the DOD. He and his wife, Robert Storch, that is, and his wife set up the National Anti-Corruption Bureau in Ukraine. Now, I don't know how this happened, but I'm I'm sure that in a few videos with Millie Weaver, we showed that President Trump withdrew his nomination for IG Storch after IG Storch was offered a job by the president of Ukraine. Now, this reporter is uh, being detained for the very reason that USAID was expelled and for the very reason that random protesters are arrested. One, they don't want disruption. And of course, they want to keep an image of what war they're doing. Do we not do that in the U.S.? Do we not have movies? Does our military not demand that every single movie that is produced projects that our army is doing good? So they're calling Russia out for the things they do, too. Every single government does this. It seems like, you know, obviously our Senate and Congress right now have China fever, rightfully so, because they're extremely intelligent. Russia fever as well. Remember, she, <laughs> she's the reason that Eric's arrested now. Now, allow me to show you the report of his arrest. And what's interesting is that there's an outcry because he's a U.S. journalist, kind of like uh, Khashoggi was, right? So it's so hard to understand the dynamics because we have so many factions within our own media that like to uh, sour the truth and taint it. Now, is it okay that Russia arrested him? I don't know. I would say if he was just a journalist, that's a problem. But I would say if he was conducting espionage, then Russia has every right, just like we arrest spies in our country, just like the Saudis do, the French do, the English do, right? This is the report from BBC. The agency says it has arrested a U.S. journalist working for the Wall Street Journal in Moscow on charges of espionage. A Russian foreign ministry spokesperson said they believe Evan Gershkovich was conducting activities not related to journalism on assignment from the Americans. In a statement, the Wall Street Journal said it vehemently denies the allegations from the FSB, that's Russia's security service, and goes on to say we seek the immediate release of our trusted and dedicated reporter Evan Gershkovich. We stand in solidarity with Evan and his family. Well, the BBC Russian journalist Sergei Gorashko has more. He started uh, as a Moscow Times re reporter for the journal in Moscow. Then he moved to the Agence France Presse. And uh, afterwards, he joined the Wall Street Journal team. He's a, well, a de dedicated and talented reporter who is the son of uh, emigres from Russia. He came to Russia like in 2000s. Uh, and uh, he's, he speaks Russian very well. He's uh, one of the uh, small number of foreign journalists who decided to stay in the country even after the Russia started the invasion of Ukraine. And he kept up his reporting from Moscow uh, amid all those uh, 
risks like being accused of espionage as well because uh, there were already cases when journalists in Russia were accused of uh, spying and of transmitting secrets uh, to foreigners uh, like the Ivan Safronov's case, a military observer who has been sentenced to 22 years in prison in September 2022 and presumably Gershkovich will be taken to prison uh, for at least like two months uh, for the time while the investigation on him will be open. This is a clear signal for foreign journalists who are still working in Russia that if they would like to keep their work and if they uh, would like not being arrested, uh, the only things that they can do is that to transmit official lines from the Russian government and nothing else. Because uh, any sort of gathering information in Russia, any sort of reporting something which contradicts the official line can be considered by the regime as espionage, as hostile uh, actions and uh, can be considered as uh, uh, spying and uh, a person can be taken to court and uh, arrested. Uh, Gershkovich is, uh, looks like a hostage for Russian regime and uh, he probably could be uh, uh, exchanged for some Russian agents who were arrested abroad in the late latest months. As for instance, uh, a basketball player Brittany Griner has been uh, changed on uh, a Russian arms dealer Victor Boot. Uh, so uh, the job of a journalist in Russia is becoming more and more risky apparently and uh, this is a very, uh, very disturbing situation of course for the freedom of speech and freedom of press in Russia. All right, so do I think, do I think that he's a spy? Absolutely no. But what I can tell you is, is that he probably received notifications from the wrong people and sent the wrong information. And this happens a lot of times with journalists that they obtain information that, you know, they had no idea what they were looking at. And like he said, Russia has every right to detain people, just like we have the right to detain people, right? When we believe that they're conducting espionage activities, it does not help that Victoria Newland and Tony Blinken put him on the spot. I would almost say, and this is me, this is my allegation, right? Allegation uh, hypotheses is that they did this on purpose so they can bring uproar, right, through the journalists, right? So they sacrificed him for that because the Wall Street Journal has very seasoned agency assets working among them, okay? There's a lot of people that have been tapped, and they know better. This was a frame job. So Putin has a guy that was framed. And I believe that maybe they're detaining him to figure out who did it and why. Because these are games and they're all playing games. And since they're busy with the Russian game and have failed in the Ukrainian game, because no one's buying that anymore, right? I believe that it was Tony Blinken people that set him up. And that's... And, you know, unless you have anything else as evidence to say that it's not, that is where I'm going to stick with it. And, you know, what's really dumb is everybody and their mother has a copy of Hunter Biden's laptop. Huh. Therefore, they already know his Rolodex. Huh. Therefore, and if you actually looked at the laptop, there's passwords to access government databases. There is so much out there. It's ridiculous. So, again. This man has just been arrested. I do not believe, because of his record, 
that he engaged knowingly and willingly in espionage activities. I believe that he was entrapped because he understands how Russia works and he knows how to stay within the lines. He's not stupid. So I believe that Victoria and Tony decided to turn up the heat against Russia by using this journalist. This is my assessment from it. Now, uh, this has been done so many times, but whatever, right? Uh, now, censorship is a big deal for everyone. Uh, uh, I was on a Spaces yesterday. I spoke about it yesterday. We have just realize the censorship. See, censorship and censoring people in public forums has been happening for decades. It's just that we haven't realized it as censorship because most of the people protesting are pretty disruptive because they're frustrated, I guess. But in public spaces, on the cyber side of things, there has been censorship. It was just people that didn't have much of a presence. And while they criticize Russia for quelling any, you know, dissent and disallowing people to protest in public forums and online, <laughs> the U.S. is doing the exact same thing. It's kind of like their poop doesn't stink, but everybody else's does. You know, it's so bizarre when you see things like this. So that's actually breaking. Everyone's losing their mind. But you know, one thing that I didn't hear a lot of people talking about is that nine were killed in a U.S. Army helicopter crash during a training mission. In Kentucky, two U.S. Army helicopters um, crashed. Um, at, uh, a spokesperson for Fort Campbell said that the deaths happened the previous night in southwestern Kentucky during a routine training mission. Now, the statement was that um, the two Black Hawk helicopters were part of the 101st Airborne Division, and they crashed around, it, last night, basically it happened, on Wednesday night in Trigg County in Kentucky. They don't know why the crash happened, and they're investigating it, but it's pretty, pretty interesting. Now, a lot of social media um, outlets managed to put extra content in regards to what was going on, and that was pretty much censored. Uh, you know, people, the Kentucky State Police um, uh, said that the crash occurred in a field in some wooded area. Uh, Fort Campbell, as we all know, is near the Tennessee border, about 60 miles um, northwesty of Nashville, and it occurred in the area of Cadiz. Um, some guy reported, who lives about a mile from where it crashed, that he saw the two helicopters flying over his house right before the crash. So nobody knows what happened. They looked really, really low and kind of close to one another, he said, but it just happened. Now, another thing is uh, swatting. This is back in the news, and there's a reason for that. There is a reason for that, because Ali Akbar is back in the news with swatting, but more so this <laughs> fake bomb threats, right? But anyway, um, swatting is something that even Ian Miles Chong has participated in. You know, these influencers think this is fun. So swatting is basically where, you know, someone calls and, you know, disguises their numbers and tells authorities that there's some shooting or people with a lot of things. Now, this is happening, you know, in colleges, high schools and several junior high schools as well, reporting explosive devices being planted at schools because, you know, Broward County is going to pop off. 
I mean, we ah, saving Israel for last as always, right? And, and, and by Israel, we don't mean this, the country, right? So um, well, what we've seen now is that we have a lot of school shootings, right? And, you know, this was done, the recent shooting was done in a Catholic school. And <clears throat> it happened to have Sabrina the Teenage Witch there. So weird. The same DC lobbyists. So weird, right? This was a literal gun grab event. But I've said this before. Crimes and things like this where they actually shoot precious children, right? Because even the locals know that they smell bullshit, they have to control the local police and counties and everyone. And I say this because I witnessed that in Mandan. When the cartels, the Sinaloa cartel, did a hit on the property managers that they were renting from where they would park their victims, right? And it was a cartel hit. We had the police, the feds, the attorney general, North Dakota Bureau, um, Bureau of Criminal Investigation, they were all in on the cover-up and blamed the fall guy, which was blackmailed to go and collect the bullets. Remember, they even convinced the public, this is how dumb they are, that a guy could walk into a building, right, and in under 12 minutes, do the following. Uh, throughout a large building, he shot up two people. He found one woman, kind of hefty, tied her up and gutted her from throat to crotch like a pig. The next guy, further down in the building, got a Colombian necktie. Now, that doesn't happen very easy. You can be a butcher with, you know, 20, 30 years under your belt. You're not going to gut a live human being like that in under 12 minutes. Oh, wait, he did all that. He collected all the bullets, right? and changed his clothes and walked out in under 12 minutes. And this is how stupid people are. If authority says it's so, then it must be so. <laughs> because the authorities are also paid out. And that's the thing. We're not paying attention. It's all about money. Huh? You want to see how much money Tennessee is going to get in federal aid? And you know what's funny? That school had been covering up for a for a pedo that was there for a very long time, putting kids into his safe house. One family representing themselves and another three came forward asking for, you know, asking for answers from the school back in 2013. Now, the young lady <laughs> who went to that school, obviously it was probably educated by that man because I saw idiots on Twitter saying, oh my God, you're so dumb. She's 28. And that would mean she would have been 18, 10 years ago. And it's like, see, this is how dumb people are. The school only allows you up to sixth grade. So that would mean that if they've already said that she used to be a student there, that she was 12 when she was there. And this is how, you know, people don't make the connections in their mind. They just jump and thump on whatever anybody says. You always have to stay take a step back and look at the whole picture. So we're having an uptick on uh, shooting, right? We're having an uptick on CAA assets just appearing. I, I just, you know, Sabrina, the teenage witch was helping students exit. Wait, what? Nobody thought that was weird. You know what I would suggest? And this is my suggestion. And I love the fact that, you know, James O'Keefe did exactly what I said. All of us should be doing a couple weeks ago. I said it on air. What do we need to be doing? We need to be pulling all the donations, right? 
that Joe Biden got because that's how he paid for those 50 intelligence assets to, well, I would say Lone Star Capital is the key player. I mean, Lone Star Capital funded a PAC. They were pretty much the only one that funded it of $5 million. No one wants to talk about that. But if you actually look, get into the counties, uh, hmm? And take a look at the money that the city, the school board, and the county are getting. Look at the new hires they have. And boom, suddenly, you've just sniffed out the money trail. And this is how it begins. You just pull that one thread and the whole thing unravels. So we have school shootings, right, happening across the nation, and they're always going into red states, you know, and then then they're saying, oh, we need gun control. Then there's other people saying, look, if you're, you know, if you've got gender dysphoria, that's a legit disorder. Maybe you shouldn't have guns. Or maybe if you feel that you're responsible, should undergo evaluations. Now, there's another concept. Why don't we just say if you're a registered Democrat, you can't get a gun? How's that? Uh, because then, because <laughs> then, <laughs> then maybe we won't have any shootouts anyway. They could identify as whatever they want these days. I mean, you know, I'm seriously thinking of identifying as a plant. So I sit in one place and just have people leave me alone. Um, but that doesn't work. Now, in the news, we're seeing an escalated amount of shootings, arrests, weird things, uh, obviously, with censorship included. Canada's worst mass shooting that was calling for police reform um, happened in April of 2020. Um, 51 year old Gabriel Wartman had disguised herself in a police uniform driving a fake police car and shot and killed 22 people set houses on fire, and killed pets in a 13-hour rampage in the Atlantic province of Nova Scotia. He was killed at a gas station about, you know, 50, 60 miles from the site of the first killings that started in Porta Peak. Now, this deadly rampage obviously shocked everyone. Like, who wouldn't it shock? Some dude plays dress-up, grabs a fake car, right? And then goes about and starts shooting people and setting houses on fire. That's terrifying. But who does that? Someone that's snapped, someone that's not mentally collected. And not everybody does. I know a lot of us that own guns and we're not going to go out there and play dress up and get a police car and start shooting people because there's something called morality and taking lives. But sometimes people snap and they go insane. And this is one of those examples. But see, what Canada did is that they used that example in order to, um, you know, police reform and gun regulation. It's, it's the most bizarre thing to do. Now, in London, uh, there are a lot of reports about bullying and cyberbullying, and this is a real thing, right? I know this because Caitlin Bennett, poopy girl, cyberbullied my own daughter that I had to move her school because she didn't like Millie Weaver dead serious, made her face famous and talked about crimes that were committed against her. This happens and people go untouched and unscathed. Well, until God decides to punish them, they need to put you right in a good position to just knock you down and take everything you want and love away from you. I mean, that's how karma is. So never ever seek revenge because revenge is his. Now, 
Having said that, England is kicking it up because a lot of people have been taking their lives. Students have from being cyber bullied. The latest one is from the, well, what school did she go to? Um, JFS, which is like the Jewish, um, uh, you know, first school or something like that. She was 14 years old and she took her life because she was being constantly um, cyber bullied. And she's not the first one that has undergone that. Um, and she killed herself. And this is how you start censoring speech and communications. And this is why they will tell you that they require to be able to observe your communications in case you're making threats or bullying people. See, this is how it starts. The intention is to remedy a wrong. But how often is that wrong? How often does that wrong happen? See, this is how they do it. They bring it in with the sad story and they loop everyone in. Boom. Done. It's theirs now. Now, I, you know, I found uh, a lot of contradictions in regards to these news reportings in general in England, um, amplifying this whole cyberbullying situation, which is a very real thing. All of us have been cyber. I mean, I have publicly. You guys have seen it and being taunted for crimes that happen against me. And you're thinking, what is wrong with you? But everyone pay attention. Wait till you see where Ali Akbar ends up and his buddies. But again, revenge is not mine. It's his. And that is what we should remember. Now, how do we combat cyberbullying? Well, that would be etiquette. Teaching children that you're not anonymous on the internet because I think Gen Xers have conveyed that to their children. Millennials are also under that impression, which is completely erroneous. You are not invisible in the cyberspace, even though it provides you this cloak of, oh, I'm just using a handle. Nobody knows who I am. <laughs> Bullshit. The people that matter, like law enforcement, know exactly who you are. Now, might I remind you, hold on, let me find the video of it. Um, woman sentenced for convincing someone to commit murder. Hold on. Remember Massachusetts? Okay. In the suicide texting case, that's it. Let me... Hold on. Let me share this with you. I want you. She was texting him to kill himself. That's it. So this is where it started in Massachusetts for the United States. Um, quickly, parents and people started having conversations with their children. Allow me to remind you of this. And this is important because this is how they justify the bills that they put forward. There's got to be a reason. There's got to be some heartfelt story. But here's how this criminal went down teenage relationship that ended with a young man taking his own life and a young woman going to prison. At the heart of this closely watched case, her text messages and phone calls encouraging him to commit suicide and the debate over whether words can kill. Here's ABC's Deborah Roberts. Ms. Carter, please stand. For 20-year-old Michelle Carter, an uncertain future. Two and a half years in the Bristol County House of Correction. Her fate handed down two months after this stunning verdict. This court, having reviewed the evidence and applied the law thereto, now finds you guilty. Guilty of involuntary manslaughter for using text messages and phone calls to encourage her boyfriend to take his own life. This troubled relationship beginning with a chance encounter in 2011, she then an athletic 17-year-old from Plainville, Massachusetts. 
he a year older, living about an hour away and sharing her love of sports. Conrad also has a love for the sea with a seemingly bright future in the family tugboat business. Conrad's aunt, Kim Bozzi. He loved it. He loved being on the water. He got his captain's license at the age of 18, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Yet even with so much promise, Conrad is adrift and troubled. Hi, this is Conrad Henry Roy III, reporting to you about what's going on through my mind, what's going on through my head the last few days. Confiding deep emotional distress in these private video diaries. I've created a monster out of myself the past few years because of my depression, racing thoughts, suicidal thoughts. The hardest thing for me is to be comfortable in my own skin. Sarah Kongi, a reporter for ABC Boston affiliate WCVB, says Michelle had her troubles too. She suffered from depression and she had an eating disorder. We know she took antidepressants. But something clicked between the two, falling into a heavy virtual romance, one Conrad's mother knew very little about. Does she know who she is? She just thought she was an acquaintance of Conrad's, nothing more. In fact, they meet in person only two or three times, the relationship nearly entirely electronic. We were intimate with each other over text message because they talked so much about their personal feelings. But were they a traditional boyfriend and girlfriend? It's hard to say. In a Facebook exchange early on, Conrad tells Michelle about his brush with death. I tried to kill myself. How did you try to kill yourself? Do you still want to? No, I'm going to. Just letting you know. The voices in my head tell me to. There's these weeks and weeks of messages where Conrad Roy is saying, I'm depressed, I want to die. And he says this to her over and over. She's overwhelmed by this caretaker role she has with her boyfriend. She can't handle it. Michelle repeatedly trying to talk him out of it, even encouraging him to get help. I'm never going to be better. I have to accept that. You're in a dark tunnel, but it's not going to last forever. You'll find the light someday. For two years, Conrad continues to talk about ending his life, warning Michelle not to tell anyone. She doesn't. And the only way I'd hate you is if you told people about this. You hear me? I'm not going to tell anyone, because if I did, then you'd have to go to a hospital, and I know that's not what you want. His family's aware that he struggled with depression, but says they know nothing about those text messages. On July 12, 2014, Conrad tells his mom he's going to visit a friend, but she worries when he doesn't return. The next day, Fairhaven officer Dave Correa finds Conrad's truck and his lifeless body behind the wheel. I'd seen enough people that were gone to realize just by looking at him that he was gone, that there was nothing that anybody was going to be able to do for him. In the back seat, this pump used to fill his car with a lethal cloud of carbon monoxide. Conrad had left notes at home for his family and Michelle. He thanks her for being there for him, for supporting him, for sticking with him as he went through all of these struggles and mental health problems. Though most of his family and friends had never met her, Michelle attends his wake and his funeral. Showing up at these various times. Yeah. And even asked for part of his ashes. Yeah, yeah, she wanted to go through his room and take some of his belongings. What did you all make of that? That's when things started to get a little weird. It was like, hmm. yeah, you don't do that. Fairhaven police are working what seems like a straightforward suicide investigation until they get the password for Conrad's phone and find some very disturbing text messages with Michelle. 
I don't get why you don't just overdose again, but go somewhere in private. You already know it works. She actually begins to almost agree with him. Like, okay, so you want to kill yourself? When are you going to do it? You're really going to do this? Yeah. Okay, there's no turning back now. Carbon monoxide poisoning is the best option. If you fall asleep in your car while it's running in a garage, it will kill you. And there's no pain. Investigators are stunned. In the last week of his life, Michelle asked Conrad when he's going to kill himself more than 40 times. When are you going to do it? I'll let you know when. Well, is it going to be soon? Conrad had attempted suicide before, but wavered. On that July evening, Michelle now encourages him. Are you going to do it now? Leave him now. Okay, you can do this. Five minutes later, Conrad sends this text. Okay, I'm almost there. It would be his last before taking his life. Later, when she hears detectives are searching through Conrad's phone, Michelle begins to worry, sending a frantic text to her friend. Sam, they read my messages with him? I'm done. His family will hate me and I could go to jail. Then this jaw-dropping one. Sam, his death is my fault. Like, honestly, I could have stopped him. I was on the phone with him and he got out of the car because it was working. And he got scared and I told him to get back in. Is the question whether words can kill? Is well, that what it is? this is more than words. Much more than words. She researched modes of death. And the reason that she did that is because he asked her for mm -hmm. help. He's the one who drew her into this thing from the beginning. Six months after Conrad's death, a stunning indictment charging Michelle Carter with involuntary manslaughter. What she said is reprehensible. And it is just bone chilling. But that's a separate question from, is it criminal? She and her legal team decline a jury trial, instead putting her fate in the hands of a judge. She assisted and devised and advised and planned his suicide. She pushed him to kill himself sooner rather than later. You presented her as a, as a girl who was manipulating, who was looking for attention. She wanted him to die, it appears, to gain attention or to uh, gain friendships or uh, get girls to like her more. She used him as a pawn in her sick game. The defense resting nearly entirely on one witness, psychiatrist Peter Bregan. The short explanation is she thought that was the only way to help him. He says Michelle, who was taking antidepressants, was a vulnerable and emotionally disturbed teen who became overwhelmed by her boyfriend's talk of suicide. She didn't want him to take his life. She said, you don't want to take your life. You don't want to. She said this to him for two years. Until she eventually says, do it. She said, if that's what you want, do it. She breaks. She breaks under his pressure, under the drugs. I spoke exclusively with defense attorney Joe Cataldo. What doesn't the world understand about Michelle Carter? That she loved Conrad Roy. She really cared for Conrad Roy. She thought she was supporting what he wanted. After six days of testimony, Michelle Carter, now 20 years old, found guilty in her boyfriend's death. This court finds that instructing Mr. Roy to get back in the truck constituted wanted and reckless conduct by Ms. Carter. Yesterday, the sentence. Two and a half years in the Bristol County House of Correction. Adding she'll only spend 15 months behind bars and then probation.
But tonight, Michelle Carter remains free as her team plans the appeal. Conrad Roy's family calls that outcome a slap in the face, but finding solace in this one thought. She has to live the rest of her life in her skin as her. One of the most hated people in the country. So, good luck with that. For Nightline, I'm Deborah Roberts. All right, so she's not hated, and I'll tell you why. Because this was the narrative that was used for assisted suicide, another way to convince people. As you heard the psychiatrist say, in her mind, she was supporting him for what he wants. And this shouldn't have been a crime. The fact she only got two years was crazy. But on the other hand, this is assisted suicide. This is where your friend's like, I can't live. I want to die. And you love them. So you support them. You see, this is how the programming works. And that's the way it is. Aside from the fact that it was extremely evil, right? She realized that what she did was wrong at the end of it. Now, why am I bringing this up? Words do matter. Therefore, if you get a text that says you, you send a text that says, maybe you should kill yourself that could be construed as a crime and an incitement, right? If you send a text that says, maybe you should steal this information, that's a crime, right? What is the driving force be behind determining a crime? Intent. Was her intention for him to die? Of course it was. She told him to get back in when he got scared. Intention, intention, intention. Now, I showcase this because that's going to be in the news coming in April. Now, may not be exact scenario, but when you see it, you'll be like, dang, now I get it. See, assisted suicide. <laughs> assisted suicide. Our kids are being torn apart. Now, and this comes in an era where we have a ton of silencing of people, a ton of misinformation and disinformation. I mean, let's be real. In 2018, you saw psychological, psychological operations like crazy. And from people that thought that they were doing good. But you can't manage an operation when you have a lot of people because you don't know every single one of them. Oh, so-and-so vetted them. Oh, really? See, this is why I was effective in the work I did. No one knew any operations when we executed them overseas. Everything was compartmentalized. And we did not take group pictures, nor did we send emails and texts. That's where they failed. And this is why most of them have been tainted. And this is why we have such a, an explosion of uh, blackpilling going on. Now, I think it's time for us to just take a quick coffee break. I want to play um, a pretty cool song. Um, obviously, you guys know I like mashups. So let's go.
Welcome back, everyone. I hope you guys got your coffee cups refilled or whatever your vice may be right now. So I think it's important that um, <laughs> we listen to this clip. You protect Hunter Biden. Hmm. That's the title of the video. I think it's important we watch it for a second. Silencing. What do you mean protect? Why is he protected? When there's crimes that are being had against the American people, why is anyone being protected? Well, let's see what they have to say. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Roth, did the government tell you that the Biden laptop story was fake? No, sir, they did not. Did they tell you it was hacked? No, sir, they did not. On October 14, 2020, Twitter blocks the New York Post story on the Hunter Biden, uh, the, the New York Post story on Hunter Biden and suspends their account. The night before, FBI Special Agent Elvis Chan sends you an email. The email says this, heads up, I will be sending a teleporter link for you to download 10 documents. It's not spam. Please confirm receipt when you get it. Two minutes later, 6.24 p.m., you respond back, received and downloaded, thanks. What were those 10 documents? Twitter didn't give me access to my laptop, but Special Agent Chan has said publicly and the FBI has confirmed that those documents did not relate to Hunter Biden, and that's my recollection of them. What did they relate to? My interactions with Agent Chan and with the FBI almost entirely focused on what the FBI called malign foreign interference, things like Russian troll farms and Iranian involvement in the elections, not on any type of domestic Any of the activity. information on there classified? No, sir, I do not hold a security clearance, and so I would not have received any classified information. Who does hold a security clearance? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to second email here. I'm just curious about this. Uh, what I propose is that 30 days out from the election, this is, a, this is another email to you from Mr. Chan, 30 days, you get, we get uh, temporary clearances. You pick who they are. Who were the people at Twitter who had a security clearance? To be honest, sir, I'm not sure. And we never ultimately followed through on this plan to get temporary clearances. Did anyone at Twitter have a security clearance? It's my understanding that at least some current or former employees did hold clearances, but I wasn't certain about Ms. that. Ms. Gaddy, do you know if anyone took up Mr. Chan's offer to hand out security clearances 30 days before the 2020 election? Not that I'm aware. So we don't know how many people had security clearances. Twitter, do we know? Mr. Baker, Mr. Gaddy, and Ms. Gaddy, anyone know how many people on Twitter had a security clearance in the 30 days prior to the election? I don't know the answer to that question, Ms. sir. Ms. Gaddy? I do not know. Mr. Mr. Roth, you don't know? No, sir. Well, how about the last one? Ms. Navaroli, do you know? No. I mean, yeah. it seemed like the offer was to sort of just hand them out like candy. I just wondered who had them. No one knows? Okay. Uh, did, so the FBI didn't tell you uh, that, the, that it was fake, didn't tell you that it was hacked. Uh, and, and Mr. Roth, did the, did the story violate your policies? In my judgment at the time, no, it did not. Yeah, that's what you said. Said what I would propose, uh, excuse me, is you said it isn't clearly a violation of our hack materials policy, nor is it clearly a violation of anything else. So I think what a lot of people are wondering is if it didn't violate your policies and they didn't tell you it was fake, didn't tell you it was hacked, why'd you take it down? The company made a decision that found that it did violate the policy. It wasn't my personal judgment at the time that it did, but the decision was communicated you know, to me by my direct supervisor, and ultimately, I didn't disagree with it enough to object to you know, you know what? You know what I think happened, Mr. Roth? I think, I think you guys got played. I think you guys wanted to, wanted to take it deep down. We saw what the chairman put up where you said, you know, everyone in the White House is a, is a fascist. I think you guys wanted it to be taken down. 
I think you meet. And I think that this was a whitewash, right? Because they could have invited Del Harvey and gotten to the bottom of it, but they didn't. You know, that's, that's basically it. Or they could have, you know, called in um, Peter, you know, that works for DARPA, that was hired by Twitter in 2020 to allegedly look at all these scams. But then that person wasn't called either when they were actually hired by Twitter to investigate. That's so weird. But speaking of Hunter um, and, you know, this whole witch hunt against President Trump, you're going to see something that you probably don't know existed. Well, it was quite interesting how amazing people found it. And I wasn't talking about Peter Thiel, by the way. Now, um, there's another guy, P-I-E-P-E-I-T-R, P-I-E-T-R. That's a whole other show. But Regardless, where's Hunter? Well, <laughs> we found Hunter with um, our fellow musician, D and um, one of my counterparts in Boston. Um, we didn't exit the car, <laughs> but we found him because obviously, you know, his handler still keeping him drugged. But I did find Hunter somewhere else talking. What? Yes, talking. What? Wait, you should hear it. Allow me to begin this. Please enjoy the show. Quick two-minute overview, because yeah. a lot of people came into the into the scene knowing about the whole FTX saga, and I know that chat you have a few breaking news that we you know while we're sleeping that you want to go through. But Simon, before we do that, do you mind telling us in like a minute or two um, Celsius what happened, and you know people thought it's over. What's happening still behind the scenes? Oh yeah, sure. So um, your yeah, the the whole chapter eleven process that we're going through with Celsius is what everyone's going to start to experience with um, FTX as we progress. So um, fortunately, we got we've done a couple of rounds with these with uh, Voyager and FTX. Um, sorry, no Voyager and Rose also said look, hundred billion dollar empire very quickly. It's the same thing actually. It's actually the same thing I said about Doquan. I said that you know. Like you, you, when you go too high, if what Sam is saying is true, that he didn't have a, a grasp of what happened, that's negligence, and that you know someone that's more experienced wouldn't would would know what to look at. But if you, yeah, yeah. and I, I want to dig into it a bit after as well because I, I think uh, chat, are you there? Because you're not responding. To Amari, we have life. to start moving. I'm a- that we have Hunter Biden coming on the show, so uh, um, uh, you'll see a bit of uh, you know panel movement so if you're removed off the panel we'll bring you up so chat is organizing everything with hunter's team um to make sure everything is good so so chat i'll let you announce whenever it's ready and and uh, do everything and uh, yeah just jump in when hunter's ready so um in the meantime um uh, reeve i know you're able to come on i just want to give you a big shout out reeve and would love to have a chat to you as well um right after hunter biden um, about a few topics and I've got a lot of questions for you. So I'm, I'm really grateful you were able to make it. Sure, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me here. Did you hear the show? The la- Did you join the show in the last couple of days? You see the, the, the craziness we, we uh, witnessed? Oh, well, I, I joined that show. I definitely witnessed the craziness of FTX, but I haven't been haven't had a chance to be on this sh- show specifically. Oh, okay, we've had, uh, just to give you an overview while waiting for Hunter Biden to come up, we had, um, so we kicked it off and then we started witnessing, Chet, you're unmuted Oh, good chat. Okay. Um, yeah, so we, we kicked off the show um, a few days ago, and it was a marathon. Like, we would just run it for, like, 
10, 15, 16, up, I don't know if we did it every 20 hours, um, nonstop. I'm just pausing that for a second. Chet Long was the one negotiating Hunter Biden to come on. That's very interesting. Now let's continue and hear what Hunter had to say. The, I, you know, my, I stayed, I think, like 40 hours without sleep because <laughs> every time we want to end it, there's like breaking news. There's a, we started watching like The Hack, for example. We started watching it live. And then we had people like Elon Musk jump in or, or CZ jump in the show. We've had uh, a bunch of ambassadors, the premier. We had the ex White House chief of staff. So it's like constantly, every time we want to end it, something happens and then everyone floods in. So it was, um, it was uh, uh, pretty fucking insane. But yeah, Chet, I'm still waiting for you, man. All good? Chet? Uh, invites have been sent out to them now, uh, and are we shifting? Perfect. Yeah, I'm ready. We can shift whenever you want. Uh, the mic is yours, my friend. Can I do the introductions? Chet? Uh, let me see if everything's going well. All right, let's see. Hey, and, and, and okay. let's also make sure, Mario, to mention that Donald Kushner... The 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 uh, the original director of Tron is also joining us here on the stage today. Uh, he's going to be speaking with us about the metaverse. I think it's very key that we we not forget that that's very critical. Here he is. He's right on stage. So, uh, pardon me, folks. We're going to go ahead and clear the stage right now at this at this point and keep some people on here. Um, and then um, here we go. Uh, all right. So now we have Hunter Biden, uh, who is a fantastic individual coming on stage. Here we have uh, Simon uh, Dixon. Let me move him on a second here. Just, uh, just, uh, just clearing a couple things off here, uh, just so we have this done. Okay. Um, all right, Mario, do you want to kick off the intro? Hunter, Donald, guys, real pleasure to have you. It's been, uh, I can tell you, Chet, is, this is the highlight of his life. He's been... Uh, doing a lot of work behind the scenes with your team to make this happen. So before I kick it off, I just want to you know, welcome you both on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Chet, I'd, I'd give you the mic, man, to make the introductions for Donald and Hunter. I know you've been planning this for a really long time, so I tip my hat to you, my friend, and uh, I'll let you kick off the introductions. Yeah, absolutely. So Donald Kushner, of course, produced um, the, the legendary, like I said, the legendary motion picture Tron. Uh, which we're all very familiar with, I think, if any of us grew up in that space. Um, and its sequel, of course, uh, Tron Legacy, he was the executive producer for as well. Um, he has thousands, uh, he's produced thousands of hours of primetime television, um, you know, hundreds of feature films, and has helped launch uh, careers of some of, uh, you know, entertainment centers, you know, huge stars out there. You know, his uh, newest project is Cryptosaurs, and that's what he is here uh, also to talk with us about. Uh, we also have Hunter Biden. Uh, on stage, uh, of course, the, the, the son of president, of course, he's an artist. He's going to share his work with us, how he found a career um, and a fresh start in life through his art. And of course, uh, breaking with us as you know, some of his views on NFTs, crypto, etc., and how he goes about creating his work in the art side um, and, and to discuss that, which will be uh, quite interesting to hear both of your perspectives. I really, really thank you both for joining us here today uh, at the stage. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So, guys, so, I want to kick it off with I'll, a. Do you want me to kick off with the first question, or you want, you have one chat? Oh, no, no, you can kick off with the first question, Mario. Yeah, so so I, I have a, a pretty broad question, guys. At first, you came in under crazy circumstances because we started speaking a, a couple Wait, of weeks no, ago. Uh, Mario, let me let me ask just ask the first question here. So so, um, uh, Donald, just to go to you first. Okay. Uh, you've you've noted some really interesting connections between uh, Tron, which you produced, uh, and what we refer to today as the metaverse. 
Um, can you kind of elaborate on that? Uh, sure. Uh, well, it, Tron was the first film, uh, or the, the, gave the first depiction of what the metaverse was. In Tron, the electronic world became the metaverse. And characters in the, me in the, in the electronic world became av avatars. Uh, also, a lot of people don't know, but in 1982, Hal Finney, under the pseudonym, uh, pseudonym of Satoshi Nokomoto, uh, who created Bitcoin, or at least that's my view, uh, he, he also worked for Atari on, on the video game Tron. So uh, also around the same time in 1982, William Gibson, a big fan of Tron, wrote Neuromancer. So there's a lot of connection uh, to Tron in, in present day NFTs and in, in metaverse. That's, that's, so a question that's... I have to you is, Donald, I want to ask you a question about the metaverse. So how do you see the metaverse? How would you define the metaverse? Because we've had, even internally in crypto, we've always wondered, you know, and, and trying to explain to, to, to people outside of crypto what the metaverse means. So I would love to know what, what metaverse means to you. And of course, Hunter could jump in as well and how it could look like over the next few years. Well, the metaverse, for me, I'm in the entertainment business. My background is in film and television. So I'm looking at the metaverse as, as a medium to entertain people. And and the, and that that's my focus. That's my background, and that's the the concept of of cryptosaurs. Cryptosaurs, we reimagine dinosaurs. In the not too distant future, these reimagined dinosaurs come back to planet Earth to teach mankind how to get along with each other and how to get along with the planet and not become extinct the way they do. So that that's. Th that's my focus on, on it. My focus on, on it is a Web3 studio that, that focuses on entertaining people. And of course, there'll be, you know, unconfined derivatives and, and there'll be a creative economy and, and, and the community will participate. But first and foremost, I see it as a vehicle for entertainment. Okay, that's that's very interesting, and and uh, your perspective on that um, has been changing with uh, with of course your project with CryptoSource. What are CryptoSource? Would you kind of like to elaborate a little bit on that as well? Well, CryptoSource it starts with an egg drop, and the egg drops become baby dinosaurs or baby or baby sores. And you know we have a partner which is uh, Animoca and one of their divisions called Forge. And they're helping us, you know, create this this Web three studio. Uh, and you know, as part of the the Tron influence, Tron used um, was the first wide use of computer animation. So we intend to use uh, artificial intelligence to create images and backgrounds. And a lot of the back the characters that we've created. Uh, the cryptosaur characters and the environments we've created are, are all created by AI and, and, and then they're, um, they're, they're manicured by, uh, by, our, uh, by our artists that are in-house. In so, you know, Tron, Tron's influence 
with computer animation was on the Disney lot, you know, from that from that group, Pixar and, and the Ice Age movies. So we intend to create with, with our entertainment on on cryptosaurs, uh, the use of AI in, in how that could be interactive in a Web3 uh, uh, TV series or okay. a streaming series. Okay, okay, very interesting. And then, um, you know, so so obviously for those who don't know and aren't listening, you know, and uh, weren't aware of how this got, uh, you know, created and you all coming on the show, this was obviously you know, something that had been planned out in advance way before anything happened in the markets, et cetera. So this is entirely separate from that, which is why we're asking questions here that have more to do with what your background is um, and less to do with things that you don't know that much about. Um, so uh, what do you think has been, you know, a Tron's influence on entertainment and culture over the past 40 years? I think I've kind of already, uh, uh, you know, touched upon that. I touched upon the computer animation, which gave birth to uh, it, it, several, several, uh, several movie series, and and also in Tron, there there was uh, there was the personal computer versus the mainframe computer, and this was the first instance where where uh, an entertainment project or any project uh, looked at open source communication and Web3. Uh, so, you know, Tron, Tron projected, uh, projected where, where the users could rule, you know. So th that, I, I think it has it had a very distinct uh, influence uh, on, on our current culture, and especially in the metaverse culture and NFTs. Okay, very, uh, very, very interesting there as well too. So, so the the Gumbotron and all that is another piece, and I know that of course Disney's uh, creating about a whole bunch of things. So obviously the Tron impact is still having quite, um, a, 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 you know, quite a lot of thing. It impacted me as a kid. I'll say that much. Um, you know, so uh, if I was to ask you, um, you, you know, how is storytelling in the metaverse different from storytelling for film or TV? I'd be very interested to hear from you uh, on that, and I think the audience would be too. Well, I think in 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 the NFT in the metaverse space, storytelling is more is is what we call quantum storytelling. It, it's not linear, and it follows in many directions. Uh, you know, we we have what we call vectors uh, are different communities, uh, and through smart contracts, we we intend to create multiple derivatives. Uh, derivatives, uh, we can, you know, one of our first derivatives will be an animation series. I have a big background in animation that will have a, a Web3 component to it. And and also, you know, we, we have created comic books and um, a book of monsters, which the images have been created by AI. And we intend to use uh, in the AI community to help help uh, become part of the creators uh, of this Cryptosaur project. I want to jump in. Hunter, do you mind if I ask you a question about your how you started your art career and what influenced you to get into art? Um, well, the, the, uh, I'm glad you're asking me about that and not the metaverse because everything... <laughs> 
about the about the metaverse i know from Tron in 1982 and the crash course that Donald has given me. I just think is an incredibly inventive and uh, creative um, uh, uh, person in his own right. Just amazing what he's uh, been able to show me about the metaverse. But in terms of my um, uh, art, you know, I've always been an artist. I, from the, you know, from the time I've been a child. And I, I think that it's always been at the center of my life. Um, and, you know, not until uh, uh, recently have I been able to devote um, uh, the entirety of, of, of my day to art. Uh, but my biggest influences were, uh, you know, very traditional. I grew up in the Brandywine Valley and and spent a lot of time at the Brandywine River Museum and with N.C. Wyeth and his kind of uh, mythological landscapes and Andy Wyeth and Jamie Wyeth. And, uh, but... That was, uh, you know, pretty traditional start. Lots of art classes in, in uh, high school and college, but um, then a more traditional kind of profession uh, uh, career took uh, took shape. And art was always uh, art was always a part of me and something that I've always practiced, but um, never been able to devote uh, eight hours a day to it like I have for the past uh, three years. And from a therapeutic level, because I am, um, I'll give you, I'll give you an example where I can relate to it, even though I'm not an artist. So, uh, dancing is something I do as a hobby. You know, whenever I go go through a tough time, I go dance. And and there's some people that started creating something called dance therapy, where you dance as a way to deal with with you know any issues you have in life. And I've experienced this indirectly. Now you did mention that that art could be therapeutic in some ways. How like how does it work? Do you like tune out when you're when you're when you're you know you're 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 performing your art, or, or, or can you tell us more about this and and uh, examples of how art has been therapeutic? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a great question and something I've thought about a lot um, because I don't con uh, consider it therapy. Uh, I I have a I have a therapist <laughs> like a lot of people, and that's therapy. But you know when I make my art. Um, and I, I, I make art every day, uh, uh, at least as, as, as many hours I can possibly fit in the day with a two and a half year old uh, to take care of also. And when I'm making art, I become fully immersed in it. It's something that the, it takes up the entirety of my attention and focus. And, you know, about five or six years ago, um, in a period of time when I was searching for answers, to get out of kind of the dark hole that I was in, um, I uh, I studied with a um, with a meditation um, uh, teacher who was one of the like kind of direct descendants of the uh, um, uh, the uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and studied with him for over twenty years in Rishikesh and I spent uh, th three four days with him and. He taught me repetitive mantra meditation during that period of time. And, and at the end of it, after we learned everything, he turned to me and he said, now you can either do that or you can exercise or you can make art or you can write or you can dance or you can code. All of that is meditation. Anything that requires the fullness of your attention and what you become completely immersed to me is meditation and medi all meditation in its way is, is therapy. And that's how it's worked in my life. I, I, it's actually, I, I'm happy I brought this up because I know, I know Brian, you have a question 
Uh, but before I give the mic to Brian, I'm happy I brought this up because, you know, when we the last three days, there's just a lot of crazy stuff happening in crypto and a lot of people suffering. So what I you know, what I did, I stayed up 40 hours the first show, like we did we did nonstop shows, and we brought up a lot of victims on stage and stuff, and and trying to give them a place, you know, a place to be able to express themselves and connect with others going through pain. So them hearing this, I think it, the timing is right. And having them, so a lot of them spent literally 10, 15 hours on the show with us. And it goes back to the point of having that focus, like having some way to focus your attention is a way to tune out the pain. Like when I dance and the music's coming, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the music, nothing else matters. Um, I'll give the mic to Brian, but I just wanted to, to kind of mention that considering that this has been a focus of ours over the last few days, everyone hurting uh, with the FTX saga. Yeah. Hey, hey, I, it's, I really appreciate being here. Uh, my name is Brian Krasenstein. Some people might know me, but I'm one of the co-founders of NFTZ.me, and and I just want to say I love what you're doing. I think it's incredible that you're here and you're and everything you've been through. Uh, you've overcome a lot, of course, but um, I actually own another uh, presidential offspring NFT, the first one ever, and that's Tiffany Trump, which I bought on NFTZ. Um, I, I just want to ask you. Uh, I, I guess. A lot of people probably want to hear from you, see what you're doing. Are you going to stick around Twitter? Are you going to uh, maybe come on other social platforms and share what you're doing, uh, share your ideas, your thoughts, and share, and most importantly, your art and your perspective on things? I'm just curious. No, the short answer is, number one, thanks for what you said, Mario, and uh, about um, giving people a space to... Um, uh, to talk and to you know, uh, and to be in a group, a community that has understanding and uh, and that is able to you know uh, express what they're going through. And I know that what you guys are going through. I don't know much about it, but I I'm, I'm sure it's not been easy. Um, but Brian, I I don't have any plans. Um, I I have I've become a a, a, a great believer in uh, that uh, you know. You make plans only for them to be um, uh, to be broken, and so what I've focused on. The only thing that I've focused on is um, my my recovery, um, my art, and my family. And in terms of becoming more um, engaged in social media and things like that, it's not something that is um, uh, that I find that that I feel a necessity to do right now. Um, I am, uh, you know, in a better place than I've, I think I've ever been in my life. And, uh, and for me, uh, I, I think that, you know, hopefully the day will, will come. Uh, but I, but I haven't engaged in it enough to give you a straight answer about when, uh, when, or if that time will ever come. Yeah. I totally do, you mind if I, do you mind if I ask a, a personal question just so to allow the audience to relate? Cause we, you know, we get hundreds of thousands of listeners in the last few days. Mainly people going through pain right now, considering the circumstances. So, with your permission, do you mind if I ask a bit of a personal question, maybe a bit of advice to them? Sure. I'll, I, if I can answer, I will. And if I, I can't, I, I, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, I'll give it a try. So, there's, you know, everyone goes through different levels of pain for different reasons. How, what advice can you give to someone? It's a pretty broad question, but what advice can you give the people that we've been, you know, we've had people come up on stage and share share their pain to us and other panelists and it's been pretty heartbreaking you know one of the panelists that comes on the show all the time you know he, the main reason he comes in is just to be a voice for those people 
considering the circumstances in the space. So what's some advice on how you've been able to deal with, with, uh, with, the, with the levels of pain you've had throughout your life? Well, that's a, um, that's a really great question, Mario. And I think that uh, the number one thing is that uh, you're going you're gonna to be okay. And it, it, it is, um, it is pain is something that is the, is the universal thing that we all experience. There's no other thing that human beings experience universally, in my opinion, except pain. And pain is, is not infinite. Um, and the, and the, and the moments are fleeting and that, and, the way that I try to take on life, and it sounds like a, you know, I know people kind of think it's a trite, but it is, I think, probably the most profound um, lesson that I've learned is one day at a time. It's just one day at a time. And sometimes it's hard to make it in, uh, you know, one minute at a time. But if you focus on what you have to be grateful for in the moment that you're in, rather than what happened 10 minutes, 10 days, or 10 years ago, and what could happen 10 minutes from now, 10 days from now, or 10 years from now, that you'll be able to find your way out of uh, what you think is a, uh, and sometimes is a something that you'll never be able to overcome. But I promise you, you will. Um, and, and I've seen it. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in the people that I love. I've seen it in people that... Um, in recovery and outside of recovery, is if you just focus on what you have to be grateful for in this moment, uh, a lot of the a lot of the things that you think that you'll never be able to uh, overcome, you will. I, I also this is Donald Krishna. I I also want to add, you know, when you speak about FTX and and the debacle uh, that that happened recently you know i'm old enough to live through the dot-com bubble and out of the dot-com bubble arose uh, google arose facebook arose amazon so i think it's always the darkest before the dawn and i and i think they'll the the um the NFT metaverse crypto world will will have will will live and breathe another day, and out of this will will come, just like it did in the dot com era, will will come a, a stronger, more involved, and giants in 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 giants will will arise from 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 these so called ashes of today. So I think we have to look look at, at the sun rising rather than the sun setting here. Yeah, I, no, always, Donald, going uh, off of the FTX thing, um, the former CEO of FTX, Sam Bankman, was the second largest donor to Democrats this cycle. So, Hunter, I was wondering if, you know, you had any insights to what was going on there. I, I don't think we want to get into <laughs> politics with this call. I think yeah, so, that a lot yeah, of business so. leaders... In FTX, I think they give to both parties. They're trying to get influence. They're yes, trying they do. To pass bills, but that's not where Hunter's coming from, and it's not where I'm coming from. We can't really speak on on the, uh, the politics of, of of why people support you know certain certain uh, 
people who are running for office and why they don't. And we've uh, we've agreed and and chat. I know you're pretty pretty strict on this, and I agree. Like I to make it even easier for you, Donald. Like I'm completely out of the whole picture in terms of politics, which makes my questions more general and and completely unrelated to politics either side. So she's going back to the point. There's one one quote I've always mentioned. Um, Donald and and Hunters is, is and I've always said it to people, like when the world. So it goes both ways. When the world feels like it's it's falling apart it probably isn't but at the same time when things feel too good to be true they probably aren't and i'll give you an example that applies now sam bankman fried um he was he blew up he became like the poster child of crypto everyone looked up to him he was the go-to person but you know politicians everything and you know it just seemed too good to be true and then reality kicked in and turns out to be a lot of it is just fugazi and then in other instances, a lot of people right now suffering from this, it feels like the world is coming to an end. We had someone come on stage and um, we had Martin Shkreli on stage, who many people love to hate. And he said a story how he, was, he went to jail for four years and it wasn't actually that bad for him. But his friend also was, didn't even go to jail yet. And he was also going to be sentenced for about four years and, and he ended his own life before that. So M Martin Shkreli shared that story yesterday. So it's a good reminder, and, and if you want to add on to it, Hunter or, or Donald, because you know I'm, I'm sure Donald, you've gone through your your share of pain. I think we all have. Is that when when things feel like that, that everything's falling apart around you? All right, so you guys can see the rest, but let's talk a little bit about you know, and I'm glad someone acknowledged it that as Hunter was talking about his pain, they changed the topic and started talking about crypto because that's what they're into. They all do crypto. And obviously, you know, a hunter's art is not so bad. It's literally not so bad. And just so you know, right, pain and suffering that comes with trauma can fuel creativity in many individuals. A great example is Frida Kahlo. She's well-known artist, often cited as an example of someone whose art was influenced by her experiences with trauma and pain. Uh, Kahlo experienced a variety of physical and emotional traumas throughout her life, including a serious bus accident that left her with lifelong injuries and chronic pain, multiple miscarriages, you know, crazy relationship with her husband, and he's also an artist, Diego Rivera. Vera. But despite those challenges, Kahlo used her art as a way to explore her pain and express her emotions. And many of her paintings feature graphic depictions of her injuries and surgeries, as well as symbolic imagery that reflects her personal struggles. Now, um, I remember when I was doing my psych rounds uh, in college, um, one thing that they would promote um, to the patients there was art. And they would have them draw. And I remember asking the attending, you know, uh, I, I asked the residents first, you know, why are we pushing them to draw and create art, right? Why art? And they said the reason that they promote them to draw or paint is because then they can um, see. Oh, is it? Okay, uh, they can see um, 
their trauma. And that is when they have a breakthrough, depicting it and and seeing it, uh, because usually trauma and emotions are not tangible items. So um, it's pretty good. In fact, just a couple of days ago, there was a report put out where Hunter Biden was sharing his artwork with Morgan Freeman. Hold on. This was reported um, by the New York Post, right? And it shows in a video how Hunter Biden was showing off his, um, you know, artwork. And it's a new video sent to family and friends. Hunter Biden shows off his latest artworks to voiceover for a Morgan Freeman video. So let me see. Let me see if they have it in here. Is it here? No, it's not. Nope. Here he is working on the art. Look at his art. I mean, it's not bad. It's really not bad. It is pretty good, you know? Now, and this stems to, you know, I've had communications with, you know, a lot of people that have the Hunter Biden laptop. And one thing that, uh, you know, I felt was that this young man was completely abused by his father, used as a pawn, right? And he has, uh, you know, been through hell. It doesn't mean that what he did was okay, but let's, let's be frank. He gave us a laptop, and anyone that says anything different is, is you know, very, you know, close-minded. This is his art. And you could hear the struggles when he's, you know, high. Um, here he is sitting down with his artwork. Which is interesting. You know, the guy's healing from all this trauma. So I found it very interesting, uh, you know, for him being in that space and discussing that. Obviously, all of them were going about the NFTs. Speaking of crypto, hold on. There's a video that I want to share that was found by the amazing America First team where all these people are just constantly being killed. So, whoop, I need to... Uh, I need to save it first. It's going to be not my friend, of course. Let me see. This is where you could see that a lot of these crypto whales are being killed off. And I think, you know, anyone that dabbles in the crypto industry and creates things should be highly concerned uh, with this. And that's where I want to end it today. There is something going on, you know, with the crypto area and suicide slash murders. So let's take a look at this video. Let me, let me see where it is. There it is. Okay. Take a listen. Now, I don't know if I should be making this video, but heck it, you only live once, so you might as well live it while you can and cover the news no one else wants to. That's why they call us the most trustless name in news. So are you ready to dive down the dark and deep rabbit hole? Well, turn off those lights, because it's time 
for Chico Crypto. Let's rock. Everyone should know cryptocurrencies and especially DeFi is a threat to the establishment. For example, DAI the stablecoin, it's only censorship resistant stable with a high float and market cap. There's no doubt it threatens US dollar, especially when it was in its early form, only backed by Ethereum. But as time has passed, DAI has been backing itself with dollar-backed stablecoins like USDC, which we know is not censorship resistant whatsoever. The powers that be can blacklist balances and accounts as they see fit. For example, Tornado Cash addresses all were blacklisted. Thus, RAI was created, which was the original vision of single collateral DAI backed by Ethereum. Just like DAI, RAI could once again become a big threat to the establishment and the US dollar, but it has suffered from gaining popularity, thus a high flow and market cap. So what do you think happened to the co-founder of both DAI and RAI? Well, Nikolai Muchegian died in Puerto Rico last Friday. And as we can see from the article, it says, Muchegian died due to drowning after being dragged by sea currents on the Condondo Beach in San Juan, the local newspaper El Nuevo Dia reported. Muchegian had no vital signs by the time his body was rescued. Now, just days before his death, Nikolai released the light paper for something he codenamed Rico. Checking out the paper, we can see it's a spiritual successor to both Dai and Rai. And as we can see from his Rico announcement tweet, he said this when asked, how are you planning on being as anon and decentralized with no legal entity or any centralized dependencies like for frontend or for hosting code, like in the case of Tornado? He responded, Frontend isn't an issue. It can be minimalist enough to fit on chain even, and anyone with a node can make direct RPC calls anyway. But it's a moot point. This thing will have a legal structure. He was looking to have it be fully censorship resistant with a bulletproof legal structure, something the establishment oh so feared. But then there's this, and this is where things start to turn very, very dark. In the Rico Matrix chat, someone replied that Rico was very beautiful and exciting. Nikolai replied, I'm trying, but it's hard to focus because I'm so paranoid everyone is trying to kill me. Yes, my friends, Nikolai was fearing for his life, and this isn't the only instance of him exclaiming that he could be destined to die. Just over a month ago in September of this year, the fourth to be exact, Nikolai tweeted this, a bet that there is no future where negative sum banker globe slave agenda doesn't end in extinction. Wish me luck. He then says, three possible futures for me. Number one, suicided by CIA. Number two, CIA brain damaged slave asset. Number three, worst nightmare of people who fucked with me up until now. I am sure these are the only options. Nikolai died on October 29th, and just a day before his death, he tweeted this. CIA, Mossad, and Pizza Elite are running some kind of sex trafficking entrapment blackmail ring out of Puerto Rico and Caribbean islands. They're going to frame me with a laptop planted by my ex-girlfriend, who was a spy. They will torture me to death. 
So Nikolai was threatening to turn the knob on decentralized finance once again, and it seems he had information about Puerto Rico and the Caribbeans being a key component of some dark and nefarious things going on. Yeah, Puerto Rico is key, and one certain person is connected heavily to Puerto Rico and also tied to Nikolai. Have you ever heard of Brock Pierce? Well, Brock Pierce is the original founder of Tether. Yeah, that stablecoin. But Brock has been for years attempting to turn Puerto Rico into a crypto utopia. In 2018, the New York Times covered just this, with a picture of Brock Pierce on the cover, standing conveniently in a children's museum. The article says this, they call what they are building Portopia. But then someone told them, apparently in all seriousness, that it translates to Eternal Boy Playground in Latin. So they are changing the name. They will call it Soul. They wanted to call this crypto utopia Portopio, which translates to Eternal Boy Playground. I wonder why Brock and his friends wanted to originally call it that. Well, in the year 2000, civil suits were brought against Brock and his friends. A group of young boys at the time, minors, alleged this. In section 20, it says, during the course of plaintiff's employment by defendants, DEN, Digital Entertainment Network, Mark Collins Rector and Brock Pierce, defendants Collins, Chad Shackley and Pierce on repeated occasions sexually and physically assaulted plaintiffs. Force plaintiffs through coercion or subversion to consume controlled substances and or prescription drugs. Threatened plaintiffs with physical injury and economic harm all with the intent to humiliate plaintiffs and subjugate them to their will. And then once again in section 21 it says, controlled substances obtained through a Dr. Mobisar were used to intoxicate, subjugate, and or incapacitate plaintiffs for the purpose of further allowing defendants and each of them to physically and mentally abuse the plaintiffs. Now, from this article, Brian Singer, Sex Abuse Case, The Troubling History Behind the Accusations, we can get a deeper picture of what was going on. And yep, it involves Hollywood's elite. The article states, The wild parties were hardly a secret. During the mid to late 1990s, as the internet bubble was inflating, a wide swath of gay Hollywood flocked to the 12,616 square foot Encino mansion that 40-something Mark Collins Rector shared with Chad Shackley and Brock Pierce. They then dive into the trio's company, Digital Entertainment Network, DIN, and then say, also among the investors reportedly were A-list director Brian Singer, veteran television executive Garth Aincher, former Disney executive David Newman, who worked for Collins Rector's company, and producer Gary Goddard. Now, 15 years later, a man named Michael Egan III has filed civil suits accusing those four of misconduct that could supply material for an especially lurid episode of Law & Order SVU. Specifically, Egan alleges that Singer, Aincher, Newman, and Goddard drugged him and forced him into sex at parties in Encino and Hawaii, starting when Egan was only 15. Egan was one of several young men to make such allegations and lawsuits filed against Collins Rector, Shackley, and Pierce 14 years ago. Court cases in which the plaintiffs won $4.5 million from Collins Rector and Shackley by default because the trio had fled the country. 
Pierce reached a settlement. Then below it says this, after a New Jersey grand jury indicted Collins Rector in 2000, he fled the country along with Shackley and Pierce. The trio surfaced in May of 2002 in a villa in the South Spanish beach city of Marbella. Police found guns, machetes, and child pornography in their house. The article then says, what seems remarkable in retrospect is that all the charges against Pierce's former partner, Collins Rector, were filed by federal authorities. Despite many allegations regarding activities at the Encino House, officials in LA never pursued criminal charges against Collins Rector or his associates. Egan's mother, Bonnie Mound, alleged during an April 21st news conference that her attempts to report her son's abuse to the FBI had fallen on deaf ears. I wonder why criminal charges were never pursued. Well, old Brock Pierce also has ties to one of the most prolific child sexual abusers of our time, Jeffrey Epstein. In 2010, Jeffrey was hosting a conference on his now infamous Pedo Island, titled the Mind Shift Conference. And besides Jeff speaking, there is also Brock Pierce. So, did Nikolai have any direct ties to Brock? Well, just last year in October, a crypto project, SDG Exchange, got an investment from Advanced Blockchain AG, but they also got investments and are backed by Nikolai Muchagian and Brock Pierce. So there are ties between Nikolai and Brock, but is this the first time a person tied to Brock Pierce has mysteriously died? Nope. This has happened before in 2018 to the heir of the banking giant BNY Mellon. Matthew Mellon died under suspicious circumstances in April of 2018, and he also feared for his life before he passed. Now Matthew, it seems, met Brock Pierce in 2015 at the first secretive annual Bitcoin meeting named the Satoshi Roundtable, aka Crypto's Bilderberg Meetings. Using Wayback Machine, we can see that both Brock and Matthew were attendees. Here's a group photo of the event, which includes both Matt and Brock. And here's another photo showing Matt in a small group listening to Brock speak. Matt and Brock became good friends after this meeting, as Brock Pierce's noble bank, the former banking partner of Tether, got close with BNY Mellon. From Brock's LinkedIn, we can see he was the co-founder and advisor of Noble Bank International. Then from this 2017 blog from Noble, we can see they said, this means that MBI, Noble Bank International, does not lend or rehypothecate client assets. Rather, assets are legally segregated in the name of the client and bankruptcy remote, held at MBI's global custodian, BNY Mellon. Obviously, the custodian partnership was the result of Brock and Matt becoming close. And even one month before Matthew's death in March of 2018, Brock and Matt did a duo photo shoot together with photographer Randy Cole. Now let's get into the controversies of Matthew's death. Original reports of his death said that he died while at a drug rehabilitation facility in Mexico. From the early report from Fortune, we can see it says, a representative for his family told the New York Post, page six, that he died at a drug rehabilitation center in Cancun, Mexico. Specifically, the representative said, billionaire Matthew Mellon, 53, died suddenly in Cancun, Mexico, where he was attending a drug rehabilitation facility. 
Well, the rehab he was attending said this was not the case. They tweeted he died prior to check-in. Matthew was a drug addict. He must have overdosed, right? Well, just over a week before he died, April 8th, Matt posted on Instagram he was sober and happy. Then, from this Express Digest article on the death, we can see Stacy Ingman, who was with Matthew in Palm Beach before he took his private jet to the Mexico rehab facility, said, Matthew was so committed to sobriety. He was three months clean and doing so well. He had extensive travel plans and was expecting to go to Hong Kong after Mexico. My understanding was it was just a checkup. He was literally drinking cups of tea and doing the whole holistic herbal thing. And Matthew's body, did Matt's family ever get a full autopsy and toxicology report to get concrete evidence of what happened? According to this New York Times article written days after his death, J. Reeve Bright, Matthew's stepfather, said the family is awaiting results of an autopsy and toxicology test being conducted by the Mexican government. What did the Mexican government actually do with Matthew's body? Well, they threw it in the incinerator and destroyed evidence. From this page six article on Matthew, it says, he was due to check in on Monday to the Clear Sky facility, but that morning was found dead in his hotel room. No autopsy was done before his body was cremated. So did Matthew fear for his safety, his own security, and life before his death? Well, from this page six article on Matt, we can see it says visitors to his home had to put special stickers on the cameras of their phones as Matt was terrified of intrusion. He had gun-toting bodyguards and CCTV cameras on every ceiling and corner. His personal assistant says Matthew was paranoid about security and he trusted no one. The article also says people are whispering about whether he was murdered for his cryptocurrency, one of his close friends said last night. Hundreds of millions of dollars are missing, possibly forever. Matthew always said they were out to get him. Perhaps he was right. Who is they? Could this tie back to what Nikolai was talking about, the CIA and their underground operations? Well, this article, The Dark Enlightenment and More Melon Madness, gives us a clue that this may be the case. Matt might have had information, and he could have been ready to spill the beans. Thus, they took him out. The article says, Beyond the curious circumstances of his death, there is also the fact that the melon was an heir to one of the richest and most powerful families in the history of these United States. Melons began a long generation spanning association with the US intelligence community. Numerous family members and in-laws would serve in the OSS, the predecessor to the CIA during World War II and would maintain close ties to the CIA throughout the Cold War and beyond. But beyond this, the family has a longtime association with even more fringe topics. The Mellons have frequently turned up as key backers of the occult. Well, my friends, this video was made not to accuse anyone of anything, but was made to bring forward the suspicious connections between the deaths of both Nikolai and Matthew Mellon. Both crypto billionaires, both knew Brock Pierce, both were fearful for their lives, and both might have had information on the CIA. 
Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Cheers. I'll see you next time. Maybe. 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 Excellent video, right? Excellent. Funny thing about Pierce Brock. Uh, a year ago, after I got my hands on the HBO footage, which is the Capitol footage that they're not releasing, someone within um, the crypto community reached out and asked me if I wanted to be part of a news roundtable that'll be on uh, the, the blockchain. Guess who is hosting it? Obviously, I'm allegedly, uh, you know, I don't understand crypto. So, mm, busy doing my shit. I wanted to make sure people understand that they are being asked about everywhere. And a lot of people, you know, pick Team Tate, you know, Andrew Tate, not Andrew Tate. You got to look into what is going on and who's supporting who and why. <clears throat> and in addition, if you remember, when Millie published the Sunrise videos, and then, you know, obviously after that, uh, we the Fed Zoom calls, uh, the Fed Zoom calls, they had chat groups, all of these. And I had started way before, you know, anything. I was following this group called Momentum for years, uh, only because of the funding, right? I landed to that thread only for the funding. Uh, most of my personas were kicked out, um, obviously, because I have, uh, you know, I would definitely assume that I have warrants. That was actually confirmed yesterday to me again uh, when I tried to merge a call um, where one of my children was calling me from somebody else's phone number and it wouldn't merge because obviously they have no warrants on that phone and that would be illegal. So uh, maybe in that sense, um, uh, it's more protective than anything. Uh, as long as you're doing things uh, with good intentions and without breaking the law, you should be fine. Um, and monitoring is okay. But uh, having said that, um, through those groups, um, and probably why I was fiddled out, um, I was able to find a thread in September that I was able to join on a signal chat. And uh, through that signal chat, I followed crypto wallets, one of them that landed to Ali Akbar that was coming from the far left and all um, sequestering in Arizona. And this money was coming from FTX, of course. And you guys know I went on vacation to Puerto Rico. No, no hidden things there, right? Just so happened. But when following the money in regards to the uh, crypto wallets that were funding the buses and, you know, you follow the whales and um, it's, it's pretty huge because while people like using crypto, well, they used to like using crypto because they thought that they could bounce off. Uh, that's not the case. Your wallet is a history. It has to self-verify, but it's who, what, when, where. How can you verify the ownership of things? And Ali Akbar was so freaking dumb. He put his Bitcoin address on um, his, uh, you know, bootleg, stop the steal. And that led me to find other wallets, people that are sitting in Congress and the Senate too. So it's it's pretty interesting how all of these are coming together when they want to control the populace, you know, and how they're coming into the sphere um, where all these uh, areas of control are present. So we have our entertainment, we have our news, right? And we also have our money. And, uh, you know, 
when I would see people like Santa surfing, telling people how awesome the quantum financial system would be and how, oh, you could rack up debt because it's going to go away. It drove me insane, right? Obviously, the smartest thing to do if you have a credit card is to use a credit card for all your everyday purchases. Because if the bank shut down, right, or if something goes wrong, uh, you know, you don't have to pay that back. That's their money. It's none of your business, right? This is why if someone hacks your credit card, you know, it's a credit card. Therefore, the bank will chase for it because it's their money, not yours. Uh, So, you know, when I saw these things coming out about convincing people that this is it, you must understand, right? If you can track everybody's transaction, right? You can control them if you have a kill switch on terminating it, like the guy said uh, in the beginning. And this is why I felt completely uh, taken back when I saw people talking about this like it was the right way. Um, Usually when you want to find solutions, uh, when you're in transition as a civilization going, you know, from one age to another, uh, there's got to be a hybrid solution until the, the, all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted when, you know, entering into another realm of trade or commerce. And right now what we're seeing is no hybrid, um, uh, you know, no slow walking, it's immediate. And that is a problem because that is how, this is why COVID happening uh, was perfect because it caused uh, the most amount of PTSD uh, to a whole nation. Remember, we had people advocating to kill people who weren't wearing masks, right? And classifying them as threats. Remember, uh, an alleged uh, sitting president said that, you know, people that were not getting the jab or wearing masks were uh, a threat, Right. And it allowed people to treat people like second class citizens. And everyone is trying to pretend that shit didn't happen. Everyone's trying to pretend that the mask fights at Bed Bath and Beyond, those people should be ashamed of themselves. Or the people that were like, follow the rules, wear your mask, you know. And 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 it was and and it's so disgusting, you know, that, that people were so stupid that they they heard, oh, it's a curfew uh for COVID. And it's like, why? Does it come out only at night? And yet here we are with people that supposedly are smart. Not even questioning that. And so um, it's, uh, this is a, a war of spies versus spies. And there's so many factions. And so many of them act like high school lunchroom people because they feel that they're important. And it's like, you're not. Here comes Reketori with her wrenches. And here comes the American people with their wrenches, right? This is it. It's completely horrific. You know, and I'm going to say something and you're going to watch them do it. The problem that we have right now is that we're scattered. I even see it on the chats, you know, when I when I stream. And that's why I avoid YouTube the most, obviously, because it's Gestapo-ish, right? But also because there is so much disconnect. We're talking about a certain topic and everyone's, you know, playing their own fiddle, right? Talking about whatever they want to just to create this disruption in public discourse. Because, yeah, I'm airing a show, but... The people in the chats are actually having a conversation, right? And parlaying between themselves on the information that is there. And also speaking to me, you know, obviously with a delay because of the way I stream. But the, the, the point of the matter is the, the, the loss that we have as a people is because we are scattered in a million places.
You know, obviously, every journalist has their forte. Um, there are journalists that are uh, incredible on reporting on, uh, you know, the trafficking uh, angle, just in the fact of them existing through uh, consumer industries like the entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. Then we have those that are focused on the cartels. Then we have drugs, you know, the 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 drug angle. Then we have people that are looking at DC politics, people looking into history, people looking into that, and we have people in all areas. We have. People chiming in about, you know, medicine that, you know, are doctors, but they all have their own opinions. It's, it's just too much. And if, and in essence, if all of those amazing reporters actually focused on one topic at a time, we would be eating that elephant up. You do it one bite at a time. And this is where we're failing right? We're failing to do target hits on things that matter because everybody wants to get their clicks and likes and, and whatever their sphere is. And this is a problem we have. And it's because people think they're important. You're fucking not. Your importance will mean nothing if they succeed. Absolutely nothing. It's like you feeding the alligator, hoping it eats you last. You know, the fact that I see so many people out there today rejoicing that Q Shaman is out. Why the, why is Julian Assange still in jail? I'm not saying that he should be in jail. I'm saying, why is he still in jail? Where are the people binding together in one cause? And I see it all the time. There's people that enter my chats just to create a, a disconnect because something might be more valuable to you or connects with you more so that that way they can split focus on organization. That is the point. That is why these things happen. These disconnected conversations, these black pillars that come in that pretend to know shit and they know nothing. They pretend and that's what they do. What we have to be doing is focusing on working together and targeting one issue at a time. Issues like low-hanging fruit first, right? And then we proceed to the more complex issues because not everybody can see things from a 40,000-foot view. And that's the thing. We're spending our energy, our time, and our efforts and our focus to things that don't accomplish much. It's like a fly being swatted. And that's the way we should be operating as a unit, together, as a people. And I'm really hoping that this restrict bill that was probably one of the best psychological operations ever, because you know what's weird? Here they are pushing a bill to censor the crap out of you. And then today we have Tony Blinken saying shit like this. The internet is also growing more closed, more insecure, more siloed by the day. More countries are putting up firewalls and shutting down access, using the internet to try to control speech, quash dissent, spread misinformation, and disinformation. The fuck? That's exactly what you guys are doing, right? Wasn't Tony Blinken and his friends silencing everyone from talking? Didn't they ban all all people of on 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 in public channels from talking? So how dare he come out and call another nation when he's when they've done the same thing? Bottom line is, if we wanted to get to the bottom of it seriously, we would all be pushing on finding out how these 50 intelligence community former led by John Brennan, right, Brock, you know, to put it down and say that Hunter Biden's laptop was misinformation. Again, all of you know where I stand on this. Yeah, it's kind of fun sometimes when you get evil to poke at someone because they're getting crowns, right? I, I, 
that was totally low class, you know, showing that picture or, uh, you know, um, the crack, the hookers, right. But like, for example, I put that article out about coprophilia, right. And I explained what coprophilia is because it reminded me of poopy Caitlin Bennett, who's now an alleged Catholic. Oh dear. Does God hate it when they get mocked again? We should be focusing on the issues at hand and what Hunter and Ashley Biden provided to the people, which is actual information of misuse of our money. Right now, we're at the point where they're just handing over our tax money to world organizations. This is happening right now. And we're not being represented. We're just handing it over to Gutierrez. No questions asked here. Take it. They're appointing people, you know, as our ambassadors that are doing nothing but serving the interests of those that they are supposedly conveying our interests to. These are not public servants. These are not, these ambassadors are not there for you and I and everybody else that is in the United States. They're there for themselves in the world that they envision where they are in region one. And you, well... The way we're going, we're all going to be split up because our camp is busy conducting operations without fail every single day. And that is a massive problem. I have to say I was very impressed with the, with the space that Mario held um, with Hunter there. Obviously, him being in the crypto sphere, there's shit about him, you know, rug pulls and all that. But see, this is how people that know better feel about those that don't that they're fair game. And that's exactly how they see you. You are fair game. It's not your fault. It's not their fault that you're stupid. So they'll use you. That's the way they operate. And that's the way it is. So it's important for all of us to be focusing our energies together within our states at the very least to get things going. Focus on one issue at a time. That's the only way you eat an elephant. There's no anaconda on this planet that can swallow one whole. That's what's most important. So on that note, allow me to exit with a musical interlude. I will see you guys tomorrow. Same time, same place. God bless. All right, all right, all right, all right. That wasn't the one I wanted to play. But the one I wanted to play, I can't play on YouTube because I'll be dinged. So I need to disconnect from YouTube. It just went live a little while ago. Are you ready? So those on YouTube, hop on to Rumble. And let's see the premiere of the new song, What is Truth? Let's go. Who's ready? Because I totally am. I've been waiting for this. It reads, all characters and events in this work are purely fictitious. Any resemblance to real person events or locations is coincidental and unintended. <laughs> the views and actions expressed by the characters do not reflect the beliefs or values of High res LLC or its affiliates. Who's ready for this one? This one's going to be spicy. Spicy. Who's ready? I like spice. You like spice? I like spicy. Well, sometimes if it's the right spice. So I'm just going to give it a bit to make sure that people that are on YouTube get, oh, look at that. It doesn't want to do this for me. Give me a second.
Let me see if I can. I don't want it to interrupt because I want to watch it. Okay. So give me a second. I don't know what I'm going to do. Boom. Downloaded. View. Boom. Pause. I downloaded it just to get it. All right. Here we go. On that note, God bless everyone. Chamois year 2030 brought to you by Lizer. I hope you have your bug protein and VR goggles ready as you sit there owning nothing because you're in for a treat tonight. We have many celebrities in the house that we tell you you care about and they pretend to care about you. And they're definitely not mouthpieces of their puppet masters used to promote various vested interests. Definitely not that. So without further ado, let's get into our first category. In the Best Rap Group of the Year award goes to... The Backstreet Boys. Welcome to the that we... The Backstreet Boys. I'm your new mommy and daddy See what happens if you getting in the way of what we planning Extort the house and set it Implement a social credit You can see where this is headed It's a global Armageddon Lock them down for climate change But we still flying private planes Go to sleep you little sheep We don't want you wide awake Been in every car with gas But then we charge a carbon tax Pretend that we confuse when everybody gets a heart attack Make the kids sad and depressed Tell them men have ass and breasts